Well, I was with Fred yesterday, and as we were in the car, he gets yet another phone call that it is time to deliver yet another baby. So Fred goes off to bring another life into the world, and so this morning, two proud parents are staring with adoring amazement into this beautiful bound that God has given them and wondering, how can anything be so wonderful? But they've already got plans for this babe to grow. And they're going to be giving it everything that it needs to help it develop fully in every way so that it can mature into a healthy adult and hopefully give them grandchildren one day. Because when you have a babe, you want that babe to grow and develop and mature and be healthy and then to begin to reproduce. Well, the same thing is true of Christ's desire for his church. And more specifically, it is Christ's desire for Dini Community Church. Uh, We're newborn in a way although getting out of swaddling clothes about six months in. But Christ already has plans for us to grow, and He's given us everything we need to develop. And He wants us to continue to mature into adulthood so that we can reproduce by making disciples and prayerfully planting other churches. And that's what our text is about this morning. This summer, we've been spending time studying the church, and we talked about the priorities of the church that when we look at the first church in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And those need to be our priorities. Then we looked at the mission of the church. The reason those priorities exist is that God made us to make disciples of all the nations, that we are followers of Christ, calling other people to be followers of Christ, meaning we want to follow His message, His mandates, His model, and his mission. And then we looked at the essential characteristic of a church, the mark of a true disciple, which is love. That by this all men will know that we are Christ's disciples by our love for one another. And then Fred talked about the preservation of the church, the defense of the church, that all of us have to put on our spiritual armor every day, wear it constantly, because there is an enemy trying to undermine everything that we're trying to accomplish. There is someone trying to sow tares among the wheat. There is someone trying to undo everything that Christ is doing. Today we want to look at Christ's plan for the church, which is it's maturing and developing into Christ's likeness so that we can serve him more fully and faithfully. So if you would, please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, where we will be starting in Ephesians 4, verse 7. Ephesians is one of four prison epistles of Paul written while he was in prison to a church in Ephesus. The first three chapters of this book are him revealing the glories of the riches of Christ that are ours in the gospel. That God sent his son to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not just as individuals, but to make Jew and Gentile into one new man, the church. And now we are his people. We are citizens of his kingdom. We are parts of his temple. We are members of his body. We are members of his household. And that is what the family of God is. But when we turn to chapter 4, he begins to talk about how do we live our lives in light of what God has done for us in Christ. And the first word, Paul says, God wants you to be unified. I urge you as a prisoner of the Lord to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But now in chapter 7, he's going to talk about some of the diversity of the body And in in verses 7 through 16, Christ's plan for the church in general, any local church, and specifically Dina Community Church. We're going to see four parts to this passage. First, Paul is going to describe 
the spiritual gifts that Christ gives to everyone whom he saves. Secondly, that Christ gifts some people to equip the saints to serve. Thirdly, Christ equips his saints to serve so that his church may mature. And fourthly, Christ matures his church to be healthy, to be Christ-like. So those whom he saves, he gifts. Those whom he gifts, he equips. He equips to serve so that the church may mature so that we can become healthy and like Christ. That's the flow that we're going to see in these verses. Look at verse 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now, the grace that is given by Christ is a reference to spiritual gifts. The word grace means gift. And just like on a birthday, you will give the birthday boy or girl gifts. When we are born again, Christ our Savior gives us a rebirthday gift. That when we are born again, every Christian is given a spiritual gift that is every Christian's gift from their Savior. No one is excluded. No one is overlooked. No one is omitted. If you were a Christian, if you were in Christ, you were given the Holy Spirit and you were given a spiritual gift to be able to serve the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're a new convert or a seasoned saint, male or female, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, every believer at regeneration is given a gift, and that's a wondrous thing. Because we live in a world that doesn't give indiscriminately. We give in a world that is typically broken into the haves and the have-nots. And the haves keep getting, and the have-nots keep losing oftentimes. But in Christ, there are no have-nots. Everybody has. And everybody has precisely what God wants him or her to have. That God picked out for each one of us a particular gift to fulfill the role that he has for us in the body of Christ. There's four lists of gifts in the New Testament. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. And if you add them all up, they come to 21 gifts. Some say 20, depending on how you, whether you combine two or make them uh, distinct. But none of them are the same because they're not intended to be exhaustive, but rather indicative of the ways that we can serve the body of Christ. And we serve Christ in a myriad of ways. Uh, Alan Chamberlain says that he has the gift of buying lunch. And if you've ever had Alan take you out to lunch or breakfast... He's got a really glorious gift at that because over a lunch hour, uh, Alan can guide you through a marriage, raising kids, handling finances, dealing with a crisis in your life. Uh, I first built a friendship with Alan when my daughter Rachel was getting older and Alan was raising three daughters well that were older than my daughter. And I said, would you as a daddy of daughters help me be a good daddy of a daughter? And so we met for the first time at Freely's. And he began walking me through his thousand-day doctrine of when the girls were three years out, I had a thousand days, and this is how I was intentional with every one of them, and how I wrote life lessons on notes for them to prepare for what was going to happen when they left my home. And Alan has been my tutor of what it means to be a daddy to a daughter. And that's one of his spiritual gifts. Um, Jan Sims is here two hours early on a Thursday night, 
coming into the hot sanctuary to cool it down and to start preparing coffee and tea and to make everything wonderful for the rest of us because she is a model servant. Uh, Scott was out mowing for four hours. Don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm going to in the hot day because we found out that the Willow Church was going to have a sports camp and they needed the lawn cut down for the kids coming in. And so single-handedly he went out and tackled the six acres because Scott's a servant. And every one of you has a gift, whether you're using it or not, whether you know it or not. When you became a Christian, God gave you a secret superpower. God gave you a gift. It's like, uh, you remember Father Christmas and the lion, the lich, and the wardrobe? Peter, here's your sword, and now here's your bow and arrow, here's your horn, here's your flask of healing ointment. And everyone is given a gift because everyone has a role, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing. So the first listen of this text, and notice, by the way, that Paul is not speaking to a pastor's conference or a missionary meeting or an apostle's assembly. When he says to each of us, he's talking about the church. The body of Christ. Again, no one is excluded, no one is overlooked, and no one gets to opt out. No one gets to say, no thanks, purely a spectator. Uh, I'm just here to watch, not really to do. There are no spectators in the body of Christ, at least not by design. Everyone has a gift because everyone has a role, and Christ chooses what gift that we get. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you didn't receive, so why do you boast as though you didn't receive it? Some people are given more prominent gifts, like Zach being able to play music and to lead us in worship. Others have more humble gifts, like mowing anonymously when it's 100 degrees out. But every gift is by design, and every gift is essential, and every gift is equally glorious to God when we use it for His glory. But the gift that you received was given to you by intent so that none of us can be proud if we have a prominent gift, nor can any of us be insecure or jealous if we have a less prominent gift, because everyone has the gift that God chose for them to fulfill the role that God has for them. Our part is to be grateful, it is a gift, and then to be faithful to use it for God's glory. To back up this principle, Paul quotes Psalm 68. Now Psalm 68 is about God descending thunderously on Mount Sinai, and then transitioning through the conquest, conquering all of Israel's enemies, and then ascending to Mount Zion. And Christ also descended from heaven, conquered God's enemy to deliver the captives of Satan's sin and death, and now he too has ascended. Now, Kerry this morning when he got my text uh, said, Oh, I'm eager for you to answer some questions that I have about this passage. A question that most have is, what does it mean that Christ descended to the lower parts of the earth. We'll touch on it briefly. For much of church history, they assumed that that meant Christ descended into hell. And so if you memorize the Apostles' Creed growing up, that Christ died on the cross and then descended into hell, what most people don't realize is that was a later addition to the Apostles' Creed. It was several centuries before that became part of what the church actually recited. And that it most likely does not mean, in fact, it doesn't mean, that Christ descended into hell. There's no biblical evidence or support of that. Another camp then says, well, Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth, meaning the grave, that he went from the cross to the grave. But more likely it means that Christ descended to the earth. It's what's called a genitive of apposition. 
The lower parts of the earth means the lower parts that is the earth. So Christ came down from heaven to earth. He conquered God's enemies on the cross. He ascended to heaven, and now he distributes gifts to the people that he liberated. That's what's going on in this passage. That's the main point of this. Christ gives spiritual gifts to everyone whom he saves. Now let's look at some of those gifts in verses 10 and 11, or 11 and 12. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Paul moves from the gifts to some gifted people. And he's not talking about officers or leaders in the church. Those are the elders and then the deacons who serve the elders. He's talking about gifted persons, and he mentions fives that are especially important for the establishing and the growing of a church. Uh, An apostle literally means a sent out one. It was an envoy, a delegate, an emissary, a messenger, a representative. And these were those that went forth planting churches like Paul where Christianity had not yet been established. The prophets were those who revealed God's word to his church before the New Testament was inspired, canonized, circulated. God communicated to his people through his prophets. Evangelists proclaimed the gospel. Um, Philip was an evangelist. Paul says to Timothy, fulfill your calling as an evangelist. The two that are most relevant today for our context is pastors and teachers. And again, he's not talking about a pastor of a church because there's not an official teacher of a church. But within a church, there are those that have pastoral gifts. There are those that shepherd. There are those that look out and notice, I don't notice this particular saint today. I'm going to go check up on them and see how they're doing. There are some that notice when certain sheep are hurting or injured. There are some that have divine wisdom and discernment to be able to give guidance and direction to help keep people on the path and not stray away and harm and injure themselves. And then there's teachers in the church, those whom God gives to be able to take his word and teach it accurately and clearly. So yesterday, Diane Owen was teaching the ladies Bible study methods, and Diane has the gift of teaching, and God has made her a teacher so that she can come and teach other ladies how to study their Bible so that they can grow up in the Lord and then teach their children and others to do likewise. Uh, Eight women in our church indicated that they had teaching gifts, and so these eight ladies in our church are going to be helping teach for the next four weeks our women's Bible studies because God has given that gift so that they can utilize that gift to equip the saints. So some are players, some are coaches, but God never intended there to be a clergy-lay distinction where your job was to come and listen and watch, and our job, or my job, was the one to do all the work. That was never God's intent. The saints do the work of the ministry. Which saints? All of you. How do I know how to use my gift? Well, that's our job, is to equip you, to train you, to use your gift, to serve the body for the building up of the body of Christ. Christ never intended his church to be a group of professionals supported and served by a bunch of spectators who drop money in a box. Rather, every saint has a gift because every saint has a role and all of us function together as every member of the body of Christ to serve Christ in this community. Some are coaches, some are uh, players on the field, but we all have our role and it's all an essential role. Now Mel, this was the vision of Mel's ministry. 
So those of you who heard Mel's story a few months ago, he grew up in Ennis, Texas, moved to Pueblo because of his mom's tuberculosis, and then went to the Marine Corps, stormed the beaches of the South Pacific, went back to college, then with Colorado Fuel and Iron, and then he got involved in a church in Pueblo. And he would drive by his little church, and he would notice the pastor doing everything. The pastor was shoveling coal in the mornings. He was mowing the lawn in the summer. He was teaching. He was doing the visitation. And Mel, being a production supervisor over a plant with thousands of employees underneath him, asked his discipler, how come God didn't give that pastor anyone to help him? And the pastor opened up to Ephesians 4, verses 11, 12, and said he did. God gave you to help that pastor. God gave me to help that pastor. The work of serving, the work of ministry is that of the saints. The work of the pastor is that of the coach, the trainer, the teacher. Mel, you need to get involved. And Mel did. And the passion of the church that Mel planted, Denton Bible Church, was make disciples of all the nations by equipping the saints who do the work of the ministry. Equip the saints to make disciples. Equip the saints to make disciples. That was the drumbeat, the heartbeat, the pulse of Denton Bible Church that Mel would take people that thought they were there to spectate and to say, actually, you're here to participate. Now go and serve the Lord. Uh, we used to say, Mel loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, Mel met a young man named Adam Richardson, who was a Russian major from Vanderbilt. And Mel said, Russian? I'm going to Russia in three weeks. You're coming with me. Adam did, and he ended up spending, what, 15 years in Russia? Because Mel got a hold of him. He took a scruffy guy named James Arnold. Jen, good to see you this morning. And J James was going to be this uh, triathlete coach, and he was studying things. Mel got a hold of him, drug him all over the world. And James is in France today with the gospel because Mel got a hold of him and said, God has something bigger for you. Uh, one time I was in Ecuador, Carrie. I was supposed to be there for a pastor's graduation after a two-year training program. And we're on our way to the commencement ceremony, and they're announcing, you know, this is actually going to be on Ecuadorian radio. This is a big deal for us. And I said, well, brother, what's your text? He goes, what's your text? You're the one speaking. <laughs> so I, I thought I was there to spectate. And actually, in the car ride, I prepared a commencement address. And I've been on Ecuadorian radio, which not everybody can say. Uh, later, I pulled the same stunt on Ben Warren. Uh, we had a missionary in, in Kenya, in Africa. And we went to go visit some pastors. We thought we were going to encourage them. Actually, they had assembled a pastor's conference that we put together on the hawk. And I asked some of the other people there with me, I said, what do you all think about putting Ben up just ad hoc because he needs to get that experience? And they all thought it was a good idea that he was ready. Well, Ben, after we agree to this, Ben comes up to me and says, you know, you trained me to be a missionary, but something you left out was you didn't just put me up there like y'all are about to do. And I said, brother, guess what? You're up. <laughs> and he did. And it was scary, but he was faithful. It was great. And God used him. It's easy to get passive and to just sit in the stands. So everyone starts dancing, and you get another cup of coffee. Everybody starts playing, and you grab another bag of chips. And at some point in our life, we get lazy, we get passive, and we want to watch and not do. But do you remember when you were a kid, and, and something came up, or I need a volunteer, and all the hands went up, pick me, pick me. Or it's my turn, I want to try, let me help, let me do, let me play. And there was this instinct that children are right on 
that the fun is on the field, not in the stands. That the good stuff happens when you do it, not when you watch others doing it. And God loves his children enough to want everyone to get in the game. And he's given you a gift to do it. And he's called some as teachers and pastors or given us gifts of teaching and pastoring to equip you to do it. But God wants every single one of you who is in Christ to be serving Christ with the gift that he gave you. To not serve Christ with your gift is to squander that gift. And God doesn't want that. We equip saints to do the work of the ministry. How do you find your gift? Uh, I wouldn't recommend taking spiritual gift inventories. Christians found out their spiritual gift for almost two millennium before they came out with those. The best way to discover your gift is to start serving. See a need and go meet that need. There's going to become many opportunities this fall as we begin kind of reaching into our community in new ways that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. And pick one and go get involved and start serving. And you're going to find that there are certain things that you're especially drawn towards, that you're especially good at, that you're especially fruitful in, that you're especially excited about, that you find fulfilling and exciting. Uh, My wife does not enjoy teaching up front. But my wife loves serving behind the scenes. Some of you don't enjoy the serving as much as you enjoy the teaching. And that's by design. God has given us our feet where they're at and our hands where they're at. And aren't we grateful that they aren't reversed? Because God knows we needed both. And so as we move into this fall, as we begin some new ministries to reach into Frank Bowman Elementary School, as Fred helps us begin a men's ministry, as we start reaching into our community in new ways, every one of you has a place. Every one of you has a role because every one of you has a gift. And the good stuff happens when you discover it, use it, watch God God use you with it. And now the Christian life becomes more exciting and satisfying than you ever imagined it could be. We were never intended to sit in the stands and to watch the professionals do it. So what's the long-term goal of this? To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, And the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There's one main goal of all the saints using their gift to serve, and that's maturity. But maturity involves different things. Maturity involves, first of all, the unity of the faith. That all of us are united in our agreement on what God has revealed and our acceptance of what God teaches That part of growing up as a body of Christ is knowing God's word and embracing God's word. And so that's why we teach the Bible on Sundays and on Thursdays. And why we have Bible study methods classes is because children grow when they feed on the word. Secondly, maturity involves the knowledge of the Son of God. And so this isn't just a knowledge about Jesus, that you have an orthodox Christology, but a knowledge of Jesus. A personal walk with God. That everyone doesn't simply know that God is the Father, but I know God as my Father. And not just Jesus as the Savior, but Jesus as my Savior. And not just the Holy Spirit as something that I profess, but the Holy Spirit that I rely on to enable me to obey God and to become more like Christ. And God intends for all of His saints to have an intimate personal knowledge with Him. And thirdly, maturity involves conformity to Christ. The standard, the measure of the stature is the fullness of Christ. 
that our goal for each one of us and as our body to become more like Christ, to become more holy like Him, more loving like Him, more faithful like Him, more prayerful like Him. Christ is our model. Christ is our head. He's the one we're following and emulating. And this is what it is for a baby church to grow up to an adult church. When everyone begins using their gift, and some of those gifts is to help other people learn to use their gifts. And now everybody is employing it, everybody's involved, everybody's engaged, and all of us is growing in the knowledge of the truth. Everyone is growing in our relationship with the truth giver, and everyone is becoming more like Christ in our holiness and our love and our godliness. That's a wondrous thing. And now, and notice, first of all, that that's we all attain. This isn't just a personal pursuit for each individual Christian to pursue in your personal relationship with God. We all need to help each other attain this. We're a family. And no parent would be happy if four of the five kids were healthy and one they just let go by the wayside. You want all your children healthy. None would be happy if, well, you know, three of my six kids are really growing, maturing, and developing delightfully. You want all of your kids to grow and mature and develop. And so this is a community activity. This is a family project. And we need to help one another and encourage one another and pray for one another and serve one another because that's what God intends for his family to be. And the end goal of this is that as we mature in these ways, this body will become healthy because this body will become Christ-like. Look at verses 14. We're going to look at five aspects of this. The first is in verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. So the first attribute of a healthy Christ-like church is it is fixed on God's truth. It's stable. That we don't blow about every time the culture changes. Every time it would become more popular to embrace this doctrine and abandon this doctrine. Because God's truth is enduring. God's worth is abiding, or God's word is abiding. Um, yesterday, there was a meeting by the city of council of Denton on should Denton enforce LGBTQ anti-discrimination laws. And oftentimes that's at the expense of religious liberties. And so they had representatives from different parts of the community come speak of, do we need to enforce anti-discrimination laws for this community and our community? And Jim Mann, the pastor of New Life Bible Church at Dentonite, was saying, we shouldn't do that one as citizens because if we grant this, then we forfeit religious freedoms, and those are guaranteed by the Constitution. But also, God's word on this has been given, and it hasn't changed, and the fact that it is now unpopular doesn't change what God has said. Now, in the same way, those who would want to be hateful towards that community or be despising towards those and derogatory towards those that are struggling in that area, that's equally unbiblical. But God's word about what is sin has not changed. God's word about how we are to treat and feel towards sinners has not changed. And if it becomes unpopular, and if the culture would like me to bend and to blow about as according to the current gust, I can't do that. We can't do that because we're fixed on God's truth. We're stable. We're not tossed about by every wind of change in doctrine. If the mainline denominations no longer believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, we do. If many denominations no longer believe that we are saved by grace through faith because of Christ's death on the cross and his bodily resurrection, we do because that's what God clearly teaches. If 
It is unpopular to say that sex should occur only within the sanctity of marriage. Otherwise, there is abstinence. Well, whether that was, I want to sleep with my boyfriend, girlfriend, that's inappropriate. Whether it's, I want to sleep with another thing, that, that's inappropriate because God says so. If someone wants to be hateful towards those that are sinning in that way, that's also inappropriate. Because Christ loved the woman in, caught in adultery without endorsing her adultery. We love alcoholics too much to endorse or subsidize their alcoholism. We love sinners too much to change God's view on sin. But we have to be fixed on truth because God has given it. We believe it. We apply it. And 40 years from now, our doctrine won't change because God's word doesn't change. The culture will. Certain things would become more unpopular. Certain things might be more unpopular. That's irrelevant to us. Our, our course is set. Our, our destination is fixed. Our, our maps are firm. We don't get to blow about with that. And so a mature church is fixed on God's truth. Secondly, a healthy church is lovingly truthful. Uh, the text says, speak the truth in love, but it doesn't just simply mean speaking. It means being truthful in a loving way. And we can be deceitful with our actions and not just our words, right? A healthy body, a healthy church is authentic, is genuine, where there's no hypocrisy, there's no pretense, there's no deception. Uh, we'll be open about our sins and our struggles. Um, when I make mistakes, the appropriate people will hear of them. If I make it in a public way, you'll all hear a confession and an asking of forgiveness. Our words will be truthful. And we will do so in a loving way because it is, it is possible to be truthful harshly, right? And we don't get to do that. I don't get to wag my finger if someone is struggling in a sin area that's not my sin area. I have to love them. But I have to love them enough to speak truth to them because that's part of what true love looks like. And so a healthy body, a healthy church is truthful, is genuine in a loving way. A healthy church grows in Christ. Look at the end of verse 15. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Christ is our head. He enables us to grow. He's the destination towards we grow. We should be growing more like Christ in our affections, in our desire to glorify and serve God, in our holiness, in our love, in our willingness to serve and to lay down our life for others. Growth as a church is growth in Christ. Verse 16, a healthy church involves every church member from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth. The whole body held together with every joint according to the proper working of each individual part. Um, my brother David observed in our late 30s that once you get above about age 30, none of your peer group is a fully functioning human being anymore. That all of us I just saw your spectacles go on and off. All of us, our eyes are breaking down. Our back is breaking down. Our bodies are breaking down in all these kind of uncomfortable and embarrassing ways. And we're not fully functioning anymore because parts of our body aren't working like they ought to. Um, when I was in seminary, also working, I typed myself into carpal tunnel. And since I was about 25, my hands don't work the way that they ought. And so I had to give up racket sports. If you don't see me mowing on Saturdays, it's because I can't hold a vibrating object without doing real harm to my arms. And it's been inconvenient, and I miss my hands. 
I miss the ability to do certain things that I like doing that my body doesn't do that anymore. Part of my body just checked out. That can happen in the body of Christ. And we feel it. If you're the hand and the hand quits working, we feel it. If you're a foot and the foot doesn't work, we feel it. If you're an unseen spleen and you quit working, we feel it. But a healthy body has every member of that body working. It's all essential. It's all important or God wouldn't have made it. God wouldn't have placed it. Finally, a healthy church grows up in love. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We as a church should always be growing in holiness. We as a church should always be growing in God-centeredness. We as a church should always be growing in love. And we should be growing in a loving way. And so we shouldn't be harsh with one another if someone isn't growing fast enough according to our schedule. We have to be patient with one another when I'm just choosing not to participate right now. And that makes your, work hard, your job harder because I'm not pulling my weight. We have to be growing in godliness, in God-likeness, in Christ-likeness, and we have to do so in a loving way, and we have to become more loving. Our goal is to become like our master, and that means loving God the way he loved God, and we're a long way from there. That means loving disciples the way Christ loved his disciples, and we've got a long way to go. That means loving our neighbors the way that Christ loved our neighbors, and we've got a long way to go there. And our goal is that we are always more loving. Um, I used to teach a discipleship group that would come in for a two-month or two-semester discipleship program. And I would say at the beginning, if you are not more loving in the end of nine months, then this will have been a wasted year for you. Because without love, we're nothing. If you don't grow in humility and holiness, it doesn't matter how much Bible knowledge or ministry skills you've acquired. Because God can only use humble, holy people. And so your primary goals in this year of theological instruction is to grow in love and in humility and in holiness because then God can use you. But if you're unloving and proud and immoral, God can't. It doesn't matter how much you know. But that has to be our priority, is that we will become a more Christ-like church because that's what Christ has called us to. So what is Christ's plan for Dina Community Church? Christ has given every one of us spiritual gifts so that we can fulfill our intended role. If you are in Christ and you are in Dina, Christ has a role for you in Dina. <laughs> he does. It's just black and white. Every person has a role. Every play person has a part. And God has given you a gift. And we can equip you to find that gift and to develop that gift so that you can use that gift. And then your Christian life will become exciting and fulfilling in a way that you've never experienced before. Because the fun is in the activity, not in the stance. Secondly, Christ gives Dini Community Church gifted people to equip its members to minister. We have gifted pastors here. We have gifted teachers here. We have men and women that have these pastoral and teaching gifts to help the rest of us learn how to use ours. This is a place that you can grow. This is a place that you can develop. This is a place where you can get some experience. And then as you're faithful in a small part, God will entrust you with more and more. And who knows? God may call you into ministry. God may send you into the mission field. 
But God does have a plan for your life, and your life will be more satisfying and fulfilling when you obey it, when you follow it. Thirdly, Christ intends Dini Community Church to mature in the unity of our faith, in our personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, and in our conformity to Christ. That is why we gather. That is why we meet. That is why we fellowship. That is why we continually devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles and the fellowship of breaking bread and to prayer is for this. And then as we mature, Christ is maturing Dina to be healthy by staying fixed on God's truth, by remaining lovingly truthful, perpetually growing in Christ, involving every single member and continually, constantly, uncompromisingly growing in a loving way and growing in love. That is his plan for the church. That is his plan for this church. And that's why we do what we do. Um, yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 lunar landing. So some of you may have went back and watched the footage. Mom and Dad were watching it. Many of y'all were in 1969 actually watching that footage. Um, it began with a 